0: Hello everyone! Welcome back to the left page. I am here again with the vi- <laughs> this is this is gonna be fun. This has already being fun. Uh, this is gonna be a hell of an episode. And I have with me before we go into anything. Uh, well, I guess I am your histo- always online historian, going mad over academia, research, writing. You know the usual list. And I'm here with a lovely friend, lovely comrade, who I'm having. Dying to talk with for any extended period of time, and it's happening. Hello, Kyle. Welcome.
1: Thank you, very, very much for having me on your uh, prestigious and fine program. I am <laughs> delighted to be here to discuss a, you know, a, a, just, just like a, a very, you know, measured, very sort of like, like you know, you you know, is your real bread and butter fiction you know something fiction you can take home the mom uh <laughs> do not show the, do not show this book or yeah yeah do not show this collection to your mother but I'll, yeah, anyways i'm i'm very happy to be here uh <laughs> yeah no.
0: yeah Kyle does a lot of different stuff on Protean magazine he has his youtube channel he talks recently about gaming and uh a pod all gamers are bastards so Kyle does a lot of different work it's all great he's he's great love to have him on No, great Thanks. wow
1: i it's, it's we could sit here and compete in terms of complimenting one another's work that we're both fans of because of you know you know the 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 the, the feeling is very mutual but or we could just accept that i'm absolutely going to win uh because i'm from the southern united states and no one knows how to be aggressively complimentary better than people from the south you do make a pretty good point. <laughs> I get challenged by the British though in particular. The uh, the austerity of the British is incredibly challenging because they will deflect. They they will deflect every compliment you give them back onto you and mm-hmm. tricky ones.
0: They are uh, but I definitely feel like I uh, cuz like you gave me two options of different like texts. I chose this. <laughs> I chose this. So you know well, it's been worth it, and as we'll get into, quite timely. So, you want to introduce the madness we'll be diving into?
1: Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, as uh, as the esteemed host of this fine program, has nodded toward. Uh, I I proposed. Uh, I had a few different ideas. Frank's very generous. And guests be like, you know, and you know, as Agab has started to slowly uh, expand guests, we do a similar thing where it's just like, you know, you really, and our our friends at Horror Vanguard do the same thing. Guests pick the text, unless I have something special in mind for someone, and just you know, who's say maybe an authority on it, uh, or have wrote it or something like that. You know, (laughs) uh, it's it it, it's it's good manners, and I appreciate that. What what I did in return. <laughs> to to return this hospitality <laughs> i recommended uh, a collection of essays entitled the atrocity Exhibition by the uh english writer j g. g ballard who uh if you're not familiar with ballard is uh he's not he he exists in this sort of realm of fiction in the twentieth century that you know elements of science fiction and speculative fiction and then like post-apocalypticism and then just surrealism which we can talk about in a second but uh that sort of these edges of this type of quote-unquote genre fiction and then other types of fiction that kind of spill over into each other and really produce some some wild stuff I would I would say into I would say the sort of like cross-genre production led to like like i'm not saying these are one-for-one comparisons but like the the sort of weird spaces that produces someone like thomas pinchon who can like who's interested in big ideas or like vonnegut for example i'm only naming americans but you know like they they they're able to not they they don't exist in service to form necessarily but they use form and genre and sort of like like, they, they capture frameworks and manipulate them in order to, you know, either critique the frameworks themselves or, like, expand or, like, like try and capture some essence of their contemporary moment, which for J.G. Ballard is, you know, closer to our contemporary moment, um, which is capitalist nonsense, to, <laughs> to, say, to sum up. it up. Well, I mean, the ballard as a writer kind of exists as like a representation of how fiction can do some incredible cultural criticism uh especially when words fail in terms of like the the sort of chaotic the chaotic sort of lowercase r real of our present the sort of stuff that exists in the realm of what big fan of jg ballard mark fisher would call capitalist realism the sort of the the limitations on our horizons of possibility that exists within all honestly in my opinion exists within a larger uh, philosophical critique of epistemology throughout the like po- the modern and the postmodern period that it would begin in a place like with Friedrich nietzsche uh, which you know that's another thing we can talk about in a minute but like really like the long and short of Ballard is that, first of all, he was born in Shanghai to, his father was a chemist, I guess, and then went like management side in the corporation he worked for and they transferred him to Shanghai. And so Ballard wrote the novel that turned into the movie Empire of the Sun. And that was based off of his experiences in a Japanese internment camp at that time. Uh, but most importantly, like his his regular biography, he had sort of like a bourgeois upbringing and had a very decided like at, when he encountered his sort of like intellectual influences which i think are the most important subject to you know your podcast he he made a, a pretty decisive rejection of those you know except accepted modes of living not in you know in, in sort of like a revolutionary countercultural sense but also in a sense mm-hmm. of just like it like there, there's a, there's elements of his upbringing in capitalism specifically i think that were that sort of conflicted like like he didn't buy it necessarily this is like oh, okay the lo- the logic of this system is not like because let's face it when when you put it under scrutiny it doesn't hold up very well so in his like and now yeah the real juice of it like his intellectual biography which i'm a historian and that's my training on what my degrees are in so like intellectual history and intellectual biography I think is something that's really valuable for literary studies I also do I also I'm happy to be on left page because I'm one of those historians that does a lot of literary theory uh which is how all of this which is why all of my friends are lit people uh <laughs> I'm just like and then there's me <laughs> uh and it, it so I, I've encountered that in my work and especially in classical studies but this like Ballard's important because He was able to sort of synthesize elements of those genres that I talked about before, like speculative fiction and science fiction, and sort of like meditations on the extent of humanity in this sense of apocalypticism. But into like, I don't remember his exact words, but in an interview, Ballard was one time talking about the end of the, um, imagining the end of the world and this is what came so use, became so useful for mark fisher and for uh some of frederick jameson's analysis of jg ballard's work as well is that like for ballard the apocalypse like the end of the world wasn't about like the possibility of something some big terrible horrific capital e event like an event in the sense of like the say the, the philosopher alan badger's idea of events as reconstructive reconstitutive like moments like like it, it's things that happen that change something that put you know sort of or put the effects of change into motion the real like fear the real end of the world is that nothing happens and that he uses the word which is something that became very important to mark fisher boredom which is became very sort of was central to his thesis in that statement. The problem is that events won't happen anymore. And he is in part, I think, talking about this sort of like anesthetizing capacity of culture, the media culture and landscape and culture that he had experienced, which was the culture of uh, deindustrialization, which was the culture that came after the emergence of consumer culture in the 1950s and 1960s, especially in Europe and in the United States as well as as deindustrialization started to happen and the mode of production started to become more efficient we started to make more like cheap commodities as well as started to produce sort of more entertainment and points of consumption in the public space in the commons for people to just go and like you know the you, the 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 cover of the only edition of society of the spectacle that's in print anymore you know with the you know the, the i think this is the original cover actually of the pamphlet but like you know, the people with the 3D glasses in the movie theater just kind of like all facing forward for Ballard. And, and, and well, this is part Fisher's read. I don't want to be too reliant on Fisher's reading of Ballard, but uh, Fisher mm-hmm. makes references to the the way that culture, it, like it restricts our ability to communicate beyond the signs and symbols um, of the production of culture, which is something that he borrows from the French uh, philosopher, critical theorist Jean Baudrillard. And it was important for Ballard to figure out sort of like a way to artfully disrupt these like persistent rationalities in liberalism. And he did this in a way that I've always been fond of as someone who grew up like pl- playing punk rock and watching horror movies through a capacity to imagine extremes. Particularly within in conversation with things like technology, which is where sort of like that's sort of where the idea of crash came from. But like he, for surrealism, like which like J. G. Ballard's biggest influence. Like he, whenever people ask J. G. Ballard's influence, he'd be like, ah, "I like this writer. This one's okay. Everyone thinks I like this person. I don't like them or whatever." But I what I really want to talk about is painting. Like <laughs> they Like he like he was a he was very much influenced. Like as he, he was producing a lot of his work at the end of the 1960s and into the 70s, like more his science fiction stuff, eventually he started producing less what you could call science fiction or like essentially he started publishing less in those like science fiction publications and publishing independently and in other places as well. But Surrealism what, is sort of like the chief central like formative influence of Ballard that you know I would I would cite and that I think he would cite as well. And you can tell it's because he saw in surrealism this sort of, like, like a, a new way of seeing, essentially, in light of the sort of restricting mechanisms of contemporary culture. That's a little bit of a simplistic reading, but it kind of captures the, like, you know, we don't want to be here all, all day. Um, <laughs> well, we want to talk about multiple things. But uh, the sort of, like, when experiencing surrealism, and this is how it was for me, because I was very into surrealism and sort of like the Dadaist movement, and then eventually like Situationism, I just found them interesting as historical subjects. And like mm-hmm. when when you encounter the uh, like the work of Salvador Dali, which I actually I live in Florida in the United States, and the a, Mu, a Salvador Dali museum the is in Saint Petersburg, which is Ooh. just uh it was the the university I went to was just north of there, like thirty minutes. And so I've seen a lot of original Dali stuff in person and uh, I don't, I didn't walk out of the Dali museum and all of a sudden like see like men emerging from eggs shaped like the world and like, or whatever. But I walked out with the understanding of what an image like that could possibly be. And as a result, it adds additional dimensions to sort of your wide angle lens when sort of the perception and in, in, in this time, too, like this was this was as existentialism as a philosophical movement was in French philosophy. French philosophy was still really dominant in Europe at this time. And existentialism was sort of going out of vogue and what was coming into vogue were structuralism and psychoanalysis, mm. which yeah. psychoanalysis is the other big J.G. Ballard thing and something that he touches on <laughs> in basically all of his work, in my opinion, that like this like psychoanalysis and surrealism sort of function. It, off the, this is really off the top of my head, so don't no hold me to this too much, but like <laughs> they sort of function the same way for Ballard. When you look at it, like psychoanalysis also, and this is as someone who's interested in psychoanalysis a lot, especially recently, the work of like Freud and then the, you know, as they call it, the return to Freud and Jacques Lacan, or the the sort of like, I would say the updating of Freud in Lacan, and then I would say after that, the sort, the very particular reading of Lacan that Slavoj Zizek has as well, as well as the work of Lacan, he's like Bruce Fink, like they really like the reason why Jacques Lacan was important is because he was able to take Freud and put him in conversation with a like he Freud as a science and psychoanalysis as a science as a very like a very critical and like reconstructive, like a very like a a, a, a discipline that seeks to shake up other disciplines um, in yes. a lot of ways or doesn't seek to but ends up doing so it's sort of confrontational that way i like that it's challenging he he, he was benefiting from the these frameworks that function as not just like bullshit critiques of the process of becoming a human subject um, or the way that we perceive and see the world, an ontology a sense of being, but like the the idea of the subjectification of the human being as something that does come into conflict and does contradict these sort of accepted niceties of our modern moment for all of its violence and cruelty that's painted over with you know it, it, that the mandatory rose-colored glasses of contemporary capitalism. Uh, and that in consumer culture and this like emerging new like crazy media landscape, which like, you know, in 2021, it's like, lol, like, like, I, I, I am a lab rat with like blue light just being blasting in my fucking eyeballs like all day. And this is how we live. The, this is how the world works now. And it's all... <laughs> it's all smeared and all the stuff that Ballard was like really critical of was all smeared and smattered together and just like pushed into the, like its essence. It lives in our home lives and personal lives now too. It's this very intrusive, like cruel process of like incorporating our daily lives even our leisure time and our personal spaces like it uh, it all gets it all gets sucked up into the capital mammon machine and so yeah ballard was like not not only did, was he like able to envision how technology which is like a very marxian thing in my opinion a, a, an understanding of technology and capitalism that functions in the same way that marx saw it but that like he was able to use that to just like quite frankly what whatever whatever the critique of his work if he was going for a critique or if you know whatever reading of a critique you want to find in it it just rips its opponent a new asshole like every single time which like nothing better than the essay why i want to Fuck ronald reagan demonstrates the like absolute power of ballard in my opinion but yeah i think uh (laughs)
0: <laughs> i uh oh man
1: when it comes to influences on ballard you know that really sums it up quite a bit um when it comes to my personal reading of ballard what what friedrich nietzsche enters as i described earlier you know that that, that that's about as, as worth as as worth it as it is to get into it but as well as the work of george bataille george sorry uh to uh, <laughs> anyone for my disgusting accent but they uh the the work of Bataille as well in this sort of like this like demonstrate like in, in the way that Bataille sort of while never fully capitulating to this like absolute like miserable view of the world, still like wrestling in front of people regardless of whether or not we want to or are ready to see it, the like the dripping excesses of the world that they lived in. And that, that that that's as I say that that's some that's some fucking fire, like that's what's <laughs> up. That's that's what I I seek that stuff out in theory. Trans again transgressive literature, and then like you know, they, like and then you trace it back to the the Marquis de Sade and like the purpose, like not, not even just who the Marquis de Sade was, not not what the Marquis de Sade wrote, but like the function that that critique as a body of literature played in a larger understanding of culture in that time and then went going on to influence like the guy who wrote the solar anus (laughs) like it's just it's too important to like if you could like it's like horror like there are elements of horror that i understand people like can't stomach because it's just it's tough to watch like and and sometimes like sometimes we're you know very empathetic and so like you know, actually watching something in front of you, just like for some people, it's just, it doesn't work. But conceptually, the horrific is so ever-present in our life, as well as, you know, in a in a true Hegelian sense, the way to give a body to the critique of the horror of our life is to <laughs> haunt back, is to, the specter we, uh, uh, is to do, is, is to do a haunting. I think, I think that's what makes the work of, People like Ballard really important, and that's what I think makes like going through like like all he has to offer. Not just in the Atrocity Exhibition, but in the, like the longer novels too, and in like the Novel Crash, which I haven't read in a long time. It's just, it's just, there, there's so much. There's so much to offer, and I didn't even get to talk about fucking like Naked Lunch, Hunter S. Thompson, <laughs> and like like Thompson's Thompson's. T- I can't spend oh god, I can't this is see Frank, this is this is this is this is the this is this is the path we've chosen for our our leisure time is to just like and like oh man it's it's I'm like a pig in shit as I say. Just like oh <laughs> shall we shall we put a pin should shall we put it on a notice
0: board of potential projects and things we wanna do. Yes. Because as we've been talking in the pre show, there's a lot of stuff we wanna do. So and um, Oh yes, I, w- I will not stop talking about. them. <laughs> so you <laughs> know that they might happen. There's a chance, <laughs> but like one of the things, uh, I mean, I- I'm not sure. I've told plenty. of... I've said it on the pod before. I've told plenty of people, but I've, I'm not sure. If I've told you. I'm not a big fan of horror. Well, mm-hmm. I am, but I can't stomach it. Yeah, pretty much. Any like at least not movies. I can stomach some literature, like I read Legardi for, <laughs> for last Halloween episode, yeah. which was, which was intense. Well, <laughs> it was too. But you know, I'm sure. Um, yeah. But yeah, like it wasn't anything that like. Oh no, I, I could no. It was okay. I've I've had some worse stuff. Like Legardi's on a, you know, body horror is a strange thing.
1: Body horror is a lot. Of, well, there's like. There's a physiological thing when you look at an image, like like I don't I don't look at an image of someone getting like I I I still like I jump at horror. I'm a very jumpy person. If someone walked up behind me right now and I didn't know they were there and they just like did that, I would probably fall out of my chair. Literally, that's just I'm just a jumpy person. I just happen to like that kind yeah. of thing. But I also there's something that's really like I don't have the thing to where like I don't have the empathetic gaze when it comes to, like, I just know too many people, I'm sorry, this is all just a long thing to say, like, I know <laughs> li- precisely what you're talking about when it comes to, when it comes, I know exactly what you're talking about, yeah, totally. Yeah, like,
0: the thing is that, uh, I think, for me, there's a tendency for my mind to wander, so, like, um, if <laughs> usually it gives me insomnia if if it's a bit too bad. It didn't, so it wasn't. Uh, psychological horror hits a bit worse, but, like, uh, to give an example, the only probably not only but one of the only proper horror movies I've been able to stomach because I can separate it so much was Alien. Because it's like, yeah, it's space. It's still fucking creepy and horrifying yeah. and I was very jumpy and tense the entire movie which definitely proved to me I don't want this experience in my life. Fair prop. Like, yes. I respect and like yes, horror yeah. movies, but I can't watch them. As much as I may want to.
1: I just think we should try. We should try we should try things. Learn and whatever. But like yeah, the like the sort of like the plausible deniability of space, like spec like sort of spectral horror works really well for that too. I also liked it because I was raised by like evangelical Christians and it always was like devils and ghosts and stuff and I'm like, ooh, this is the bad <laughs> stuff. Like, I wanna see it. Uh yeah, like there's there's a degree of like Ballard like i also like i like how that's in ballard a little bit in like there's a thing there's a reading of the novel crash in in there because because ballard like ballard really blends the idea of a futuristic literature into just like because because it's it's really a critique of the way that we see technology ballard is obsessed with cars in particular but talks about planes a lot as well just like internal combustion engine vehicles are like the constant subject of the work of jg ballard (laughs) and but like the characters are like it's like like it's one thing to write the novel crash and it's another thing to write a novel crash that in which these are like i can accept the, the 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 libidinal like the 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 te- the sexual technological component of these characters one because the characters are convincing and two because ballard makes it like in the this unification of the opposite of extremes the the biological the 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 functions of human desire with human techn- with the creation of human <laughs> technology is well that's how it does... To me, that that's how desire and capitalism work. And I mean, you know, we all know I like psychoanalysis, and we all know, <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm talking about desire. So, so we all know that I'm a fan of Zizek's work. But like, to me, that's how that's how that's how desire. Fun- if if we're doing a psychoanalytic reading of contemporary capitalism, especially in light of technological progress, that is how desire functions as a like, like the body becomes not the body in a way that, like it's it's so human, it's so not. It's just this like. It's this. It's it's a. There are discernible voices in the in the discursive conversation here, but like it's in a feedback loop. So as we know, if you put two speakers that face toward each other, the sound just reverberates off of each other, and because in the magnets inside of it, it just goes. And then eventually, you can't discern anything. And that's sort of how. That's how. That's not only how like, like culture functions. And that's not only how closely like human subjectivity is to like the production of the culture industry nowadays, but it's at the sort of like intimate hole in human desire on which we project and try and understand ourselves and imagine ourselves as who we think we are or could be, but it's this, that's a, that's a moving target that we just kind of like, and what psychoanalysis is and something that's really influential for J.G. Ballard is is about mm-hmm. just like not just like is about the wisdom and the path forward when we recognize and reconcile that with ourselves as human subjects, which is like based on like the acceptance and the understanding in the path forward that comes when we accept that we're never going to fully understand who we are. I is never going to be me. I is going to be the person in the mirror that I see who some days looks, you know, cool and handsome, big and strong. And some days like, looks like someone, it looks like someone who I don't think is convincing the people around me is the type of person that he thinks he is. And then, well, that's when, that's when we, that's when we go, Oh no, <laughs> this is bad. <laughs> and we have, you know, difficult that that's when we have psychological breaks um in these types of things things I've experienced in my life as you know you know a sad gay online um and offline I was I, was, I before I was perpetually online which wasn't very much I was a, I was a sad gay then too but uh like
0: we're sorry to have entrapped you always online
1: <laughs> what oh 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 please like oh I came <laughs> I really came kicking and screaming and tweeting and like <laughs> Like the best way to like ugh I got owned one time. My my husband who's very, very funny, who's a very sweet, kind man, but everyone's like, man, he's also smart, so he knows how to like make a really ripping joke. One time I, I, I was uh we were talking about our day and he said I, I was reporting, I'm like, Yeah, I think I wrote like like eight hundred like good words today and he's like on Twitter <laughs> <laughs> And I'm like I I'm like I'm f i am like i am I just I just I instantly was obliterated into like atoms in that moment it was so brutal and so good and i'm just like god i love you uh, it's just, it's just <laughs> like i just got like man i got owned it was it was it is very true but um no yeah it, it's good that i just forgot what i'm talking about so we can you know we can maybe no, that's talk. okay <laughs> um and uh,
0: we were talking about like the subject being or not being rather Yeah. And that mess. Because what I find interesting is that you're mentioning just just the subject as human and in the world and how that's difficult. You didn't even mention the technology bit, which
1: just makes everything go. (laughs) Yeah, I think I I buried the lead when it comes to Crash, right? Which is like, if we want to talk about Crash, the Crash is also. Crash is a film. Uh, crash is a film that it, it's it's that movie. It's that movie about uh, made by liberals about race that beat Brokeback Mountain for the for Best Picture. That's a joke. There are two crashes. There's that movie which is very bad. It's so unbelievably bad. Don't watch it. And then there is a crash directed by David Cronenberg, who, <laughs> yet now like. For those who aren't familiar with the work of J.G. Ballard, but have been listening to what I've been saying about Ballard, and now it's probably snapping into place, the guy, uh, yeah, it behind. should click
0: a lot more, yeah, exactly.
1: Cronenberg, uh, Video Drum, Stalkers, and Un The Fly, just an unbelievable, like, really, like, like I, I, I'm not, I'm not much of an auteur guy, because you know, you know, I, I'm more of a like your text is, is 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 kicking you out of out, like you know that the the text is removing the author in some ways you know it's, yeah. not, the, it's not the author's fault it's roll it's roll on barth's fault but the uh, <laughs> uh just a little literary literary uh literary theory jokes are what you can get when you subscribe and rate on itunes at five stars or however many however you rate things on itunes the left page podcast, and which, you put two uh, historians in a room talking about literature. This is like this is what happens. Which have you read Hayden White, by the way? As a side oh, no. I have. I
0: I mean, I have I have great notice of him. I've talked about him quite a bit, but I haven't actually read him
1: yet. As I am a big white guy. I I have the whole thing about I have a whole th- basically what I do is like structuralism plus Hayden White, and just like. <sighs> because he, cause he in, in history departments like especially in the u.s he's just known as the like he makes them like run screaming like they're on fire and i'm just like oh the guy everyone who is like like everyone fucking is absolutely terrified of oh, what's he got to say <laughs> and that's how i got I mean, he's <laughs> fair i mean he's
0: definitely he's still a persona non grata in mine along with most Postmodernist or so-called postmodernist thinkers, yep. but there's at least a
1: few people there. Yeah. <laughs> no, but uh. <laughs> anyways, uh, cra- crash. Back to crash. I, I we got that. We got the Hayden White real quick. C- crash is a film by David Cronenberg that was based off of a novel that J.G. Ballard wrote that was, originally appeared. I, I I don't know if uh it's a. I think it. It was the Atrocity Exhibition, which is the essay collection that we're talking about. Is is just that it's a it's a collection of essays written in a sort of you could call it kind of like aphoristic style. It's basically written in these sort of like paragraph chunks. If you're familiar with the work of William S. Burroughs, the novel Naked Lunch, these types of like. Sort of like Clockwork Orange, I think, would also sort of like ring similarly in terms of this. Its particular kind of modernism, it's not structured in a way that is meant to, in the in in a surrealist sense, not meant to offer traditional coherence. In the same way that supposedly, at least as I've read or apocryphally or whatever, Burroughs, when he wrote mm-hmm. Naked Lunch. Well, we all know that he was shooting up heroin the entire time. He was addicted to heroin, but <laughs> like he would basically shoot a bunch of heroin, sit down in his typewriter, typed out the whole novel and then like rearranged the sections and just kind of like bundled it in a different way. Um, I'm sure with intent, uh, because it's an <laughs> Naked Lunch is an incredible novel. You know, oh, and speaking of David Cronenberg adapted, did a film adaptation that a lot of people don't like, but I do personally um, of Naked Lunch. But uh, yeah, Crash in its original iteration in the iteration that's in the atrocity exhibition, which is very easy to find in a PDF online, by the way, for people who want to read it is written in a similar style to the rest of the essays, which is, a, is basically a, a heading uh, or a subheading and then a paragraph in a sort of like a very characteristically scientific sort of like framework, sort of like a, like in the, ge- in the genealogy of like scientific language or epistemology or whatever or vernacular even ballard was very interested in these types of sort of like we were talking before we even started recording about the you know blurring the lines between the quote-unquote harder sciences social sciences and humanities or human sciences which you know as you you know i think any flavor of marxist is like yeah this is a good idea um yeah. in my they, like all the way even all the wackiest ones are just like no nah, i think this is something that we should consider doing and i think yeah i think ballard is also very is very useful for sort of like presenting that and then also critiquing it in the similar to friedrich Nietzsche who used that as well as the work of Michel foucault but in, in the case of crash crash is about the uh in in uh in Ballard's words himself the the latent sexual content of an automobile crash it's about it's about like the novel crash is a has a character uh named after Ballard and that character is um interested it, it goes around to uh it's really a novel people should read if they can stomach it so <laughs> I'm, I'm not gonna reveal it like the the, the is looking looking for sexual gratification and arousal and like a, a, a sexuality that is merged with technology by recreating the famous fa- fatal car crashes of celebrities like James Dean and Albert Camus you know politicians and like movie stars etc and basically in atrocity exhibition, as, as as we were referencing earlier, the sort of style as it's presented is is very, like, very scientific, very, like... It's, it's very monotone. There's one
0: yeah. distinct... I, I think, because uh, we read uh, some of the Fisher essays about a few of the chapters, and, like, yeah. I think he's completely right that it's one sort of dull tone, which makes sense with we what you were mentioning earlier about boredom. Yeah. So it's <laughs> unlike most a uh, aphorismatic reads where there's a clear tone, especially with Nietzsche, It's like he's
1: <laughs> always irreverent in the most serious way possible. That's and it, I mean that's what's so interesting, right? And that's, and that's what I like about Ballard. Ballard like it reads it reads a lot like it, like a pamphlet. If you took if you added in some images. And you took out and changed the content and the subheadings or whatever with like the way that it sits on the page. It could just be like, it could be a, it could be an explanation of an automobile. Mm -hmm. Like it could be the thing that comes when you buy a car or whatever, the, the booklet. It's an examination of these types of these productions of capitalism that just had like, for so many people just like this blended into the background. And like, this is just how we do things now. That's just like, no, this is a form. And Ballard is able to sort of like expand on and critique and incorporate the form and to bring to light its sort of the the, the centers of its like oddities by making this form into something that's so profoundly human, particularly in how like completely fucked up it is because human beings are like we're all weirdos and like the 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 critique in that is that there's this accepted understanding of how people are who they are what they're interested in how they behave and often that is not that's not just a mask uh that they are placing and you know showing themselves to others but it's this as we were talking earlier in light of psychoanalysis this constantly moving target that people like that, that that is the main driving force behind their anxieties, which is what's really speaking truth to them, which is that you're not as cool and smart and tall and hot and (laughs) nice. And like, you're not as cool as you think you are. Everyone can tell that you're a fraud. And so you re you compose and compose and recompose, recompose yourself of subjectivity. And like, if you take that to, it's like sort of like what I would see as some kind of a logical breaking point. It's just like, Okay, what if what if I as we all have been doing and all do recomposed my desire and uh individual subjectivity under contemporary capitalism in light of a libidinal reaction to automobile <laughs> accidents which like <laughs> it exists within the it, so, sexual arousal at car crashes exists within the logic of capitalist realism i think is the real takeaway from crash and the real under the real way to apply it to a cultural analysis of our modern moment is that this isn't that crazy like most of us are just like having sex with our phones at this point it's like and like i mean and like you know fucking go for it like (laughs) i like if there's one thing i'm not we're not here to judge i am not a moralist i'm not interested i i I got plenty of that growing up. I'm good. But like at the same time, you know, we all we all the, the the path forward as a subject in our modern moment is the critique of subjectivity and the an attempt to capture the true essence of human desire in light of that subjectivity that's what psychoanalysis and like talk therapy is supposed to do. So, I mean in, in like if we're doing this in our like, you know, if we're like Ballard where we're just like Put the pedal to the floor, just like let's fucking go. Like if we're gonna do this, if we're really like Ballard's attitude, being like let's do this. If we're really gonna do this, what if people were sexually aroused by car crashes? And it's like, it's like no, it's a, it is a very let him finish kind of a moment, like right, (laughs) just this very like, oh oh shit. I I made the mistake of reading this and then thinking about it a lot. And god damn it, this this guy's right. And like that's it. That's it's like surrealism it's this yeah. it's a framework and a context through which you were able to see the actual world for the with with the eye with a with a different set of eyes and just take to. I'm a big fan of like I'm mean, I I grew I I grew up and cut most of my teeth made a lot of my friends and spent all of my free time in like the hardcore punk scene in Tampa and Florida which is very active and as a result I encountered like forms of music that like I was always into like metal and like thrash and like mm-hmm. that I grew up in Florida so of course I like death metal like Florida partially invented American death metal but like and but then I started to listen to like grindcore which is just all that music but really 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 fast and injected with punk um which I learned that punk music really in like in, in a in a sense of like You know, in a sense of what's the really like artful punk music, I learned that that's post punk, and that what's actual what's actually punk is a sense of critique in the taking the dials of whatever it is around you and cranking it as high as possible. What's punk? What's like? This is why horror can be so punk, in like the way that like individual characters can subvert accepted social norms and like like a woman can like hunt brutally murder her rapist that like this is it's a it's a it's a production of extremes that seeks to like push boundaries in our imagination and to be completely honest that what summed it up for me is just the faster the music that i just like so i got really into genres like power violence um and mm-hmm. fast core just like the fastest hardcore punk i could find became eh, like I'm like oh you can play faster play faster you can play faster play faster and it just it like that appeal and culture served as this because you know I'm you know I don't just have like really really bad ADHD I also am like incredibly invested in the same way that a lot of you know people like Mark Fisher and you know speaking of Zizek and speaking of Ballard I, I, I I'm not I'm not, I don't need to, like, the sort of, like, the bourgeois pretension of high and low culture in a rejection. I'm also, like, I grew up playing piano, uh, and I played the cello, and I played in symphony. I'm a classically trained musician, too. And so, but I also really like professional wrestling. And so, like, those. that's usually the the sort of, like, bifurcation <laughs> I use in terms of my, my cultural upbringing, because I grew up with working class parents. But I ended up going to this magnet school that popped up near my house that took, it was an art school and it took neighborhood kids and it was public and like you get to do, like it was a really good music program. And so I ended up there and I was, I grew up around church musicians and that's basically the context for that. But like it ended up like giving, when you get the wide angle lens of like quote unquote high quote unquote low culture, the stuff that like, you know, the reason why Shakespeare was fucking important because subverting these like really, you know, in the Victorian periods in even in like classical antiquity like the stuff i do in my academic work there's like these the rigidity of the roman republican empire's social boundaries and rules and the roles that people play for masters and slaves for teachers and students i'm basically describing my master's thesis right here these are mm-hmm. like the, the these are constructed frameworks and in, in built by the social relationships between people and so when you disrupt this like i don't i don't need i think i've made this joke probably on a different podcast so excuse me (laughs) if someone hears me recycling a bit but like i don't need to read another essay in the new yorker about a film with two sad millennials in brooklyn and one of them's a lesbian (laughs) they found (laughs) they found the flyer for a a mysterious party and it's about their journey dr- i don't need an, i don't need analysis of this i understand what this it's bougie crap like i like like it's probably good writing like that's probably that's not really what i need we need people to be talking about like the 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 quote-unquote low culture we need people to be talking about the nonsense culture that we need to be talking about commercials from the 1990s because as someone who grew up like who was born in the 80s but who most of his childhood was spent in the 90s was born in the late 80s it like commercial television like was absolutely deranged it was like it was at a point to where like it was peak neoliberalism and like the end of history so they were literally hiring like Abstract street artists and filmmakers and stuff to direct like Pepsi commercials, and they would jam them all together. And like they used to, they advertised even more to tell on television to children. And so children's television was just like this, like completely disorienting, like just like Tony the Tiger. And then Tony the Tiger, all of a sudden, now we're we're at the Kool Aid Man, and now I'm watching Nickelodeon, and now we're back to more commercials for like all. It's just. I feel like I just woke up from the 1990s, to be completely honest. It's very disorienting. Just this very, like, throw in spaghetti for culture. Let's just fucking try everything. That's why a lot of it was bad. I mean,
0: David Lynch <sighs> did a PlayStation commercial. Yes. Which st- the weirdest shit.
1: Precisely. And um, that makes sense. <laughs> that like, I mean, like, no. like And that is, like... I mean, Lind- Lind- I, I, I love... I'm a huge fan of David Lynch's work. And I love the staying power of it and the fact that, like, when Twin Peaks went on fucking streaming, a whole new dra- – I talked to undergraduates about Twin Peaks and that rules. And, like, we for- like people forget – Twin Peaks was on a major television network. David Lynch had a TV show. Like, <laughs> the guy who made Eraserhead. Like, everyone had so much money. So, like, David Lynch got to put that shit on TV that and so and this is like this is honestly like if you you just rewrite any and ballard you know has you know written prolifically throughout his career but like the the period that we have been talking about mostly recently this is all the stuff that led to the shit that i'm talking about this was the like this was the reverberations in culture in the post-consumer culture and deindustrialization. The only thing that was waiting, it, the the only thing they were waiting for is Tina and neoliberalism to finish it, to to finish testing out neoliberalism on Latin America and South America, and then bring it back to the metropole, which they did very very effectively, yeah. especially in the United States. And so, then it's just like people the 1990s was like like a teenager like a 19 year old won the lottery and had no fucking parental supervision (laughs) in like ever in their entire life so they just like are just like i heard cocaine's cool i heard like like what what if we had a cereal with a like what what if we what if we took the cereal with the frog on it that's been around for a while but we made him like we gave him a hat and like like (laughs) what (laughs) <laughs> this is not this shit is nonsense, but that's just because. in but it's it's representations of it's popular culture. There's a reason why you know, I'm I'm on YouTube talking about video games.
0: But I mean, you you played the the Reagan game, called oh,
1: like well, of War, which oh. you uh, I
0: I said this on Twitter yesterday. I cannot pay you nor Kay enough money in the world for such martyrdom seriously like
1: so you like in true podcast host fashion you have perfectly like you just you you threw me a fastball straight down the middle on purpose which yes what frank is referencing or uh one an episode of mm-hmm. all games are bastards i've got a lot of mileage out of call of duty cold war which when i first saw the trailer uh last year i knew i was going to i haven't played a call of duty game in a while but i have played a lot of shooters especially historical shooters like not probably in the past 10 years but like after call of duty 4 3 call of duty 3 whichever one was on xbox 360 i had a roommate in college who had it and then for a while i i I hadn't really engaged with the series but there is like it's a it's a Black Ops game. This is a subsection of the the original Call of Duty series. Was a World War II shooter, and Black Ops is basically neoliberalism. The like the game, like, neoliberal neoliberal foreign policy. The video game. You're you're you're, you're you you play a just like a, a Cretan spook, and you go around like <laughs> shooting communists. It's disgusting. It's like, it, to use words of my podcast co-host, uh, if I if I were banning things, I would ban this like, I would if I were like banning texts, this would be something that I would ban. I'm not like a banned text person, but if I had to make a choice, oh, Call of Duty goes. It's illegal. Uh, it's so violent and like nonsensical. And the reason why Frank brought it up, which is, <laughs> it is because... There, there is an initial scene that in a seminar that the liquor guy and I put on that uh, uh, that Frank attended. There was a uh, um. There, there's an initial scene in the beginning of the game where you're discussing essentially the necessary congressional authorization, the authorization of the legislature <laughs> in the United States to do all of the like, vi- like absolute grotesque violence that you want to do, and of course, people in the room are like, like. Everything we do is illegal, like you know which is by the way, like I think I made that joke on twitter, but the 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 most completely unrealistic part about call of duty uh is when the CIA actually was actually admitted admitting that everything they do is illegal, uh just like that's the real escapism I look for, <laughs> like them actually copying to that, but the uh um at some point to come in and just like put a rest to to come in and you know put a, just put a arrest to any potential hesitancy at doing a bunch of war crimes uh a a, a an animated ronald reagan comes in mm. and uh gives blanket permission for it to do whatever it takes and this is like it's it's almost too surreal but as particularly in light of the um, the other essay that i i i thought appropriate to discuss which is actually a pamphlet that that's in the atrocity exhibition it's very notorious pamphlet that jg ballard wrote called why i want to fuck ronald reagan um why i want to fuck ronald reagan call of duty like call of duty is it's it's unbelievable like the stranglehold capitalism has on our cultural imagination because like this jg ballard essay is just like like parodying a game that came out in 2020 like, like yes. the the gap that this the the journey that this the essay "Why I Want to Fuck Ronald Reagan" has experienced has is pretty incredible, and and why why it is captured in Call of Duty is is because the content of this essay it's written in the same or this it's it's a pamphlet and it's written in the same style as the rest of the Atrocity Exhibition, which is this very sort of like matter of fact scientific sort of like. You know th- this th- this style. It's a form, just in the like as we were saying earlier, and but it is instead like essentially describing a a series of experiments where they tested uh, I- individual subjects' reaction to various re- various like imagination, a- a- imaginations, depictions, historical and you know non historical. Understandings of Ronald Reagan, including the like a a a study conducted to gauge a fake study, uh, the um, people's fascination with Ronald Reagan's hair and his personality in contrast to people's understanding of the personality of John F. Kennedy, as well as um, you know, there's a lot of talk of orgasms. And uh book? There, there. Well, that's true. There's a lot. There's a lot of anatomical Mm -hmm. description in. uh Actually, you know, I'm I'm rambling, but I we got something better. I'm I'm gonna read a portion from Why I Want to Fuck Ronald Reagan. I I, I
0: endorse that because (laughs) let's give them a sample of what the hell we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Of I was thinking in my head. I, I, I missed a variety of things. The best way to describe this. A disturbing collection of images which do make sense it it's a weird collage but it's there is a picture or there are various pictures of the collages and they make some sense it's a disturbing sense all the same it's a whole disturbing thing it's a it's hard to leave it unscathed (laughs) hopefully the podcast is being less
1: a traumatic and painful experience (laughs) but uh yes <laughs> we're we're helping walk them into it let, let, let's just it, it, we're helping people determine whether or not this is something that they're going to be able to read uh i'm just gonna i'm gonna read, this is the very first paragraph of the pamphlet of jj ballard's pamphlet why i want to fuck ronald reagan uh, the <laughs> subheading is titled during the during these assassination fantasies uh, ronald reagan and the conceptual auto disaster uh, numerous studies have been conducted upon patients placing Reagan in a series of simulated auto crashes, e.g., multiple pile ups, head on collisions, motorcade accidents. Fantasies of presidential assassinations remained a continuing preoccupation. Subjects showed a marked polymorphic fixation on windshields and rear trunk assemblies. Remember, this is an essay that's called Why I Want to Fuck Ronald Reagan. Uh, <laughs> powerful erotic fantasies of an anal sadistic character surround the image of the presidential contender. Subjects were required to construct the optimum auto disaster victim by placing a replica of Reagan's head on the unretouched photographs of crash fatalities. In 82% of cases, massive rear-end collisions were selected as a preference for expressed fecal matter and rectal hemorrhages. Further tests were conducted to define the optimum model year, and so on and so forth. More stuff about rectal things, uh, very, this very unapologetic like depiction of the human body, um, and all within the context of, again, an essay titled a, a pamphlet titled Why I Want to Fuck Ronald Reagan. It, it, and the, there's a reason why there's a there's a particular story involving this pamphlet. And there's a reason why everyone tells it is because this this pamphlet put into practice as, and also, this is sort of Mark Fisher's reading on this in a blog post that he wrote on it. The true essence of this pamphlet is captured when I believe at the, I'm going to have to actually make sure that i'm gonna say i think it was the 1980 republican national convention the 1980 rnc where they were inaugurating him as the presidential candidate but i'm not that sure
0: sounds about right because that's necessary.
1: what's yeah because that's what because he wrote this when ronald reagan was a candidate for governor which is what's which is of. which is both prescient and horrible because unbelievable. because like
0: you know he you, you could have picked a, a wide variety of people but no you know it, it's it's one of those things
1: well here's the thing that and this is the perfect place to pick it up because <laughs> why i want to fuck ronald reagan is the equivalency of in 2015 writing an essay entitled why i want to fuck donald trump it's and it, it's an understanding of how the, the the weird symbolic representations that capitalism produces that and tries to pass off as actual politics is like has finally just cast an actor finally they just went to hollywood and just found the guy and it originally in the original context like a candidate for governor but then it gets like this is a the reason why it came the reason why it became of interest again is largely because apparently there was a they were holding the 1980 Republican convention in uh, San Francisco, in California, and uh, a group of were they like sort of these sort of like neo I think I think Fisher uses the word neo dadaists these sort of like yes. a an, knack an, an of merry prank a prank uh, they uh, printed part of why I want to fuck Ronald Reagan and put the seal of the RNC on it and handed it out. And, uh, Fisher brings this up at the beginning of his, uh, of his blog post on this because he, uh, it, it, it shows that, um, well, satire's dead, um, in particular, because, uh, a lot of people saw just with the, the slightest changes. And this is still, this is a ridiculous essay. If you read it with any amount of criticism, but like people so willing to accept, like this pamphlet titled "Why I Want to Fuck Ronald Reagan," which is the title taken off as something that appears like, again as Fisher describes it, so it seemed it, people seem to think it was, or I think this was Ballard actually. People seem to yeah, Ballard reported it as. Uh, I'm told that it was accepted for what it resembled a psychological position paper on the candidate's subliminal appeal, commissioned from some maverick think tank, which like, <laughs> yeah, that that about sums it up. Like the the like the the simulated experience the symbolic experiences of contemporary politics reign supreme and not only do they reign supreme because like you know all the way like not only was this essay relevant in doing sort of like an experiment in hyper reality in 1980 but as very presciently brought up there's a, there there is a fake ronald reagan in the new Call of Duty game, who will if you identify as non-binary and you, or use they them pronouns, who will who will appropriately gender you? So you can you you can be you you Ronald Reagan will call you they them in a video game, and this is like like th- this is how contemporary culture works. And uh, I think I need to explain what the inflammatory statement I said earlier, but didn't actually explain the reason why. If this pamphlet was written in a more modern period, it'd be called why I want... Oh, I did explain it. Well, it's called why I want to... It would be called why I want to fuck Donald Trump. Is because it's the same. He's like it's the updated version. Yeah, Reagan was the mini boss. He he also had all the presentation and like like he was just barely lucid enough to where he could like put on a suit and like stand at a podium and read words. And like, that was about it. Like very Joe Biden energy. Like he, but like, like there, there was still an accepted sort of like decorum that like the accepted decorum that led to, you know, fucking George HW Bush. And then George HW Bush later losing his bid for reelection to this like saxophone playing Yahoo from Arkansas. <laughs> Donald Trump is the contemporary iteration of that because he's just fucking Donald Trump is just Twitter, but a person like, <laughs> like there's a reason why he's the best poster. It's because he's just a human version of Twitter. So like he it just, just, just no, like every, like everything just like he has a thought and it falls out of his mouth. Like, and, it, and it's all conflict. And like, it is just, there's a lot, there's a lot to be said about when someone who like, and, and for people who, maybe you know aren't familiar with this part about american politics i'm I'm sure everyone is familiar with how much reactionary people in the united states completely just are obsessed with ronald reagan in terms of like the the, the, those are these are the real people who want to fuck ronald reagan he he is deified in conservative politics and he is constantly name-checked as an inspiration and for those who aren't familiar with ronald reagan it's a fucking asshole he was the governor of California, but before that, he was just, he was an actor. He's just like, he's a personality, essentially. A shitty actor, too, like a yes. C-lister. Yes, he did like, not even like, there's the Hollywood Spaghetti Western that was popularized after, after the Italian films became popular. Then there's the fun, good, cool B Spaghetti Westerns. And then there's the Western movies that Ronald Reagan were in, which are just like, pap- boring, stiff, just like him. And like basically <laughs> he popularized the the sort of moral majority politics that a lot of people in the United States who grew up with very conservative families, like they were all very familiar with. So you know Reagan is a god and he was also a gigantic dumbass. So like not yeah sure I have personal beef with Ronald Reagan, but like also he everyone should have personal beef because he is a representation of absolutely everything wrong with contemporary politics as is donald trump not in the way a lot of not in the way that the liberals you know think like the the reason liberal liberals think that donald trump is was bad because he was disrupting the usual like day-to-day of you know federal politics in the united states when in fact that's literally the only thing that was good about donald trump <laughs> is that he was ca- like donald trump the only benefit that donald trump ever gave to the united states was disrupting the the the, the functions of imperial deep state because apparently he just like could not pay attention and was just like like they could not get anything done it's the only that's the only good thing that he did is he disrupted people's idea that this decorum this understanding of the world is like actually meant something positive It doesn't do anything it doesn't mean anything and positive is a good word because it's actually the inverse of that it sucks the life out of people there's no imagination nothing can be better everything sucks and everything has to be this shitty and like there's nothing that we can do about it so you might as well capitulate to like the the closest thing that we can get to resembling social democracy and it's just like it's it's not like it's it's an imagination that's not strategic like it's an imagination yeah. that, in its like that has like it's imagining the end of the world as a good thing, but like this is what Ballard shows us not only is like not only is like like contemporary capitalism you know due for plenty of critique, but like it's end of the end of the world that it's showing you is just like extensions of its imag- its own imagination, the real end of the world, the real like thing to fear is that there's just nothing after this that we just are stuck in the that that like to like <laughs> it, it just works way <laughs> too well to draw it back to literally everyone we've been putting him in conversation but to draw him back to draw like to go from fisher through Ballard to to balgerard it's just like it's a fear of the world becoming the matrix <laughs> it's physically in inca- without the intervention of some like outside force like without you know you know, Morpheus and his buddies or whatever, like we don't even, you don't even know that you're, that you're in that weird bean vat thing and hooked up to all those tubes. It like, everything just goes on as normal. And then that, like, that's the true horror. Like is, is, is that is the nothing of that. Yeah. In the same way that like an idea of what's scary or horrific in like the Lovecraftian sense Critiques the idea that you can like imagine it within these, the particularities of like the the idea that it's like it's a man, but he puts on a hockey mask <laughs> and then he kills a man. No, and then but no, it, it's more like you know, no, a uh, uh, a a big a, a big flying psychic squid monster flies in through a hole in space like and starts like you know hooking people up to weird machines and sucking out their essence this feels like or just like my true idea of the horrific which is just like one day you know someone looks outside and then just this tiny little space fungus just like falls out of the sky and immediately covers everything and just just this it's a nothing as opposed to an unknowing which is uh you know i like dialectic so it's a it's a it's a breathing process uh, but to destroy that is a fundamental negation, and that's the yeah. fear. That's that's the fear of capitalism, and that's what, it's, honestly, that's that's what uh, why want to fuck Ronald Reagan is is important, is because like this they, people can look at this and just be like, oh yeah, that's fine. Like they can buy this. It's usually like so. So, so, so like this is fought, Like actually, I, I, I just I go eh, eh, and I write R N C on the top or something like that, and I hand it to them. And they're just like, oh yeah, it's just like. So that's the world we're living in. Okay, I understand. At least I feel prepared for whatever it is mm-hmm. we're dealing with because eyes to see. I guess that's the theme. That ended up being the theme of our talk. Is <laughs> like I didn't have. I didn't have. I didn't have the vision for. <laughs> I. I'm making biblical references, but like that. Not <laughs> when you when you read the essay about the like libid, like measuring libidinal desire for like Ronald Reagan. Or you read the essay about people getting out to car crashes, or you read these weird, like, oh my god, like, the Great American Nude, like, which has my favorite subheading ever, which just says, the skin area. I'm obsessed with that. Oh, that's so nasty. I love it. Just the skin. I'm like, oh, I hate a diagram of, he, like- in in like a description of the human body that talks about a diagram of bones the various truncated segments of like human bodies it's a needed wrestling from complacency in our modes of thought it's a it's an epistemological critique sure but like it also is ontological in the sense of how i use these ideas of knowledge to measure myself as a subject and to and the idea of you know culturally dominant politics how we can very easily construct our politics in this like immaterial sense and and lose measure and touch with what it means to be a working person and as someone who like sat here and talked for like an hour and 15 minutes about <laughs> you know sex and car crashes and the tie you know when i'm not doing that most uh, the rest of the time i'm doing i'm doing a workplace organizing and labor organizing which is about which is just like people work and is really hard long tough but necessary work but I one, I kinda have to make those two things connect. I mean, come on, like that's 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 too good of a challenge to not do. But also it's <laughs> it's not hard to because working people all of the different types of working people that we encounter in union organizing and in labor organizing, even in my like I'm not like I'm not like a seasoned seasoned vet or anything, but I just have a decent amount of experience doing this kind of a thing. You encounter so many types of people. And in my other t- the other types of organizing I've done as well, and the work, and the paid work that I've done too, like you, you you work, you you need to it helps you understand, well when you know how like shitty culture can be, and how like weird and atomized it can make us, and how it can just like turn us into these like shrieking like monsters who are fighting over like who are like standing on the counter at a mcdonald's screaming about rick and morty sauce or like yelling at each other on the internet about about like is is it problematic to ship these characters and this is i don't blame anybody i don't blame anybody for any of that kind of stuff too i mean i I love culture and i i fucking mainline it I'm, i'm the gamer guy i mean come on but like To know that there is a world in which, in in this world being labor organizing, there's a world in which, like, despite all of our separation and differences and the noise that forces us in conflict with one another, the problem of work and what to do about it unifies people across their various... the, the, The multiplicity of oppressions in modern capitalism, contemporary capitalism, that are purposefully atomizing and are trying to make us you know feel apart from one another and then blame us for you know these types of things. well there's a there's a there's a lot of very honest work, very honest work, hard work that can be done to subvert the the things that this type of culture that Ballard is critiquing and mm-hmm. it's done so by an understanding of who we are in that multiplicity of oppression because it brings us together. It's very simple. Yeah. It's a very simple idea that if you're organizing in a workplace, no matter how – like someone who is a 50-year-old single mother 50. – let's say she's 40, so she needs child care. A 40-year-old single mother who can't afford child care for her kid can relate to a 21-year-old working-class college student who is have, having difficulty affording rent. One – they're both a problem a material circumstance and largely a problem of work and two the solution is the same organize and fight for what you need in your workplace and so to bring those two people together which i've seen over and over and over and over again happens all the time beautiful friendships familial bonds between people who like you know like people are people are are being like like there's that rapping lady who's saying gen z's canceling eminem and so she's embarrassing herself on tiktok like that's what people are saying to each other but when people like actually get together and have an honest understanding of the material circumstances they're in and they share a common bond and affinity in their workplaces and as workers when they're made aware of that all that shit like no one starts doing generational warfare because of the very clear thing that we all know none of that shit matters none of it's true yeah it's bullshit it's an, it's it's goofy jokes we can make on. i love to dunk on gen xers in particular it, as a millennial <laughs> like it's it's and, it, and it's because we i see some of myself in them man like 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 <laughs> it, it it reminds us that like no matter how alienating our society and our workplaces, et cetera, that we can, there's something that we can do about it that it doesn't fix everything because I don't know the solutions to that, but it does get people, it does wake people up to the reality yeah. of what we're dealing with. And the idea that culture can play a role in that is like a big relief because I spent a lot of time thinking and writing about this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know it's doing something, you know? Yeah, like I, I think
0: I, I, so much to, a uh, uh, sponsor like all you've been saying, but just ballad feels to me like just that <laughs> pointing out these extremes, these sort of dull extremes of like culture, yes. like oh, I want to fuck Ronald Reagan or uh, the recreation of the car crashes or the assassination of Kennedy. <laughs> uh, I mentioned this because <laughs> again with the timeliness, there was a hard drive article. Hard drive is a an excellent gaming news satire thing, which while not as clearly is pretty much very leftist, uh, which is great. And there was one that was like developer of game I want to assassinate JFK calls game not political or something of the sort. <laughs> yeah, which you know, I, I I just messaged that to Kyle and was like,
1: Ballard would have a field day with this. I mean, come on. Okay. Okay it's hard drive fun fact hard drive is an extension of a website called the hard times which was created as like an onion for like the hardcore punk scene and so it used to just be all a friend of, i've had friends who have had like pictures from their bands or whatever used in hard times articles my buddy tom is the is the is the photo on a hard times article i remember seeing on facebook he's like please stop sending this to me i saw it <laughs> i know but uh no you're like the thing about ballard there's something so profoundly historical and something so profoundly relevant it's historic it's historical relevancy can be read in something that you brought up the dry the dry affect is a yes. signal of this form that ballard is playing with and a great great deal and he does this like and he he, he does sort of like like a metatextual version of of this as well in his jfk assassination race which is just it's it's re it's a complete reimagining of the event in basically like a downhill like like a race um yes. like a car like, again cars again and it's a reimagining of the of, of the entire event the course re- like it starts at the book depository and you fu- it's un <laughs> it's incredible the like the extreme context of this like major political event in the united states presents an incredibly real feeling text that feels relevant and and in the in the <laughs> in the case of why i want to fuck ronald reagan it feels as something that is reasserting its relevance particularly considering its subject which is you know contemporary culture uh, and politics and you know that sort of a thing Ballard wrote himself into timelessness via yeah. this like to be quite frank absolute nonsense beautiful <laughs> nonsense calculated like definitely just just it like JG Ballard writes masterpieces i don't say that a lot but it's nice to like it's nice to talk about Ballard because i don't get to read a lot of fiction anymore but like that was a, that was another part of the reason why that I su- I suggested I think another book that was like it was a novel but it was shorter, and it was because I you gave me a lot of a lot of oh god you're so good you gave me so much head time because and you have to on a on a on a book podcast right because you got sometimes you got to read a book but you yeah. you give me a a really good head start in terms of thinking and then I needed to strategize and be like okay I need something that I'm gonna make sure I have time to read um to or reread closely. Even though I'm still going to talk about big picture stuff, but, you know, it's going to make all that stuff so much juicier if I do. And so Atrocity Exhibition was perfect because it's it's not very long. And it's very easy to just sit and, like, read in spurts, considering it's not just it the format of the collection of works, but also the structure of the works themselves. I was able to, like... I don't know, like, I, I, it felt like more, this is the first time I, was, I had an opportunity to approach Ballard's work as more of, like, a meditative exercise rather than, like, just a purely intellectual, like, sort one that, like, oh, I totally loved, but, like, rather, just, like, not a reflection on a lot of stuff that I had encountered before, particularly through my now, like, very, very long fanboy relationship with Mark Fisher ever since I was an undergraduate, um, because I was... I was I was an incredibly online introvert in undergrad, and as a result, if you're into theory shit, you ended up on K-Punk eventually, and then you read Capitalist Realism, and then now you're here talking about, you know, oh, my cat's coming. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> There's his tail. <laughs> He's like, I'm coming over. But yeah, that's how you end up, you know, talking about culture, writing about culture, and thinking about ideas like this is through yeah these encounters i don't know ballard's very valuable and you may have seen you've probably you, there's a good chance you've watched a movie based off of something like he's like philip k dick that way it's one of the only thing ballard yeah. and i did ballard wasn't a supposed i think i read an interview one time i was heartbroken that ballard wasn't he's like i'm not a huge fan of philip k D- dick's work and i'm like philip k dick is my favorite son, speculative fiction right now. <laughs> I mean, really? it, it, from like a, a like a high school like I started reading, like he was like the first, he felt like one of the first cool writers I ever like ran into. Yeah. Well, I think actually, I'm sure Ballard's critiques are very fair. <laughs> but no, he. Yeah, I guess I don't know. I guess my big takeaways from a reapproach to Ballard is that like, I, I'm glad to re with with new context and like new understanding reencounter his work and have similar sort of reaction. To not not only similar reaction, but uh, to be reassured in my ideas of its relevancy and staying power through an additional encounter and sort of application to like I call call of duty for call of duty, call mm-hmm. of duty of of course call of duty put Reagan the pronoun respecter in mm-hmm. in like I guess you know we we live in a we live in a weird world and you know thankfully when you do this kind of a thing it's often very tragic but it can be extremely extremely funny and to be completely honest playing that call of duty game it while it is not a good video game uh it is not that enjoyable to play it is so completely twisted and evil <laughs> that it was so funny i just laughed and laughed through that story mode it's just comically evil yeah so good yeah, go
0: go listen to a gab pod where Ooh. Kyle and Kay go 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 deeper into it, and it's just it's so vile. It's so like I think Kay said it best. It's like I don't usually go on, 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 on characterized video games on a good to evil basis, <laughs> but this is the closest thing to evil. And you know what? They're absolutely right. This Call of Duty, Black Ops, Cold War is fucking evil.
1: Yeah. And and you both have martyrs for playing it. <laughs> well, I appreciate you honoring our sacrifices gamers or most important sacrifice of course, Definitely. but man, I I I used to I I am I'm, I'm averse to sort of like objective readings of literature, but I may have I I I may have one objective reading of a text and it's that Call of Duty is just objectively an an evil thing that would to be rid of it would be, the world would be a better place. <laughs> yes,
0: yes, I, I can, I think we can all agree on that. I think a final point I was going to make was that like, there are a few things I want to mention to you later, but uh, I think one of the ways about Ballad is kind of timeless is because, while completely absurd, the reaction that he portrays of like uh, the American people to culture and to such a Perverted display of culture is very true to form, realistic, very realistic. Yeah, it's just like you 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 buy that you you yeah no that's that's sensible that that's a nonsense study. It's made up, but you don't. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because it's especially now when it's like it's a whole. I'm not going to go off on a tangent on fake news and how they've always been a thing and it's nonsense to make them a thing. But it's just... It feels even more it's like, oh, the bogus study that says this, this, and this. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, some of these reactions, sure. Pss, nonsense. Yeah. And it, it's very much sort of timeless. i like, yeah, it's very specific cultural references. It is and It is elizabeth taylor it is jacqueline kennedy and the jfk assassination and it is automobiles all the fucking time but the connection the sexual one the inversion and closeness and the deep relationship with technology which and and, you were when you were talking about it at one point i I kept thinking about benjamin i'm half obsessed with benjamin myself (laughs) so you know that that came up a bit um just like oh yeah i remember because you were talking about the speed of metal and just like that extreme speed i was like benjamin would have fun with this too
1: <laughs> yes absolutely no i mean you 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 really really effectively summed it up which is this idea that like pick a subject in jg ballard's work a big subject, like the city or, you know, for like high rise, like a building filled with people or whatever, a car crash, or take a human subject like JFK or Ronald Reagan or whatever. And whatever that subject is immediately, or whatever that object in particular, sometimes, whatever immediately comes to mind in relation to it, which it is, whatever you think of, it's probably true because just that it's, reagan is the perfect example for this as well which is like it's politics and celebrity and culture and popular culture and industry and culture industry and both in actuality as well as in sort of like discourse and more essence in like it's any one thing is connected to everything because we're we just live in this like This economic mode that has evolved beyond asserting an interconnected network of capital that sustains, reifies, and recontextualizes itself over time and asserts itself in spaces that it doesn't occupy, but it's created internal mechanisms that function similarly in the realm of culture in that, like, there are these, like, like Don like you know donald trump being president of the united states this is a great example yeah. the 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 tabloid guy who had a rich guy who got rich by shortchanging black people and manipulating bankruptcy law and stealing and all of course that guy who his son who got famous for being bad at business and making gold things and stakes got a tv show that got really popular and then he and then uh, fast forward and then of course he's president like of course of course that happened because the 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 spectacle the spectacular and the spectacle itself as a mechanism of capitalist realism reigns supreme the essence of the spectacle will become embodied in these other spaces so politics becomes about celebrity becomes about you know all all of these various sort of like Portions of subjective desire that people are like wildly flinging around trying to turn into some semblance of a a human being they're happy with Mm -hmm. is like a function of the very, very top to the very, very bottom of our political moment. And not only is that really bad, at least in my opinion, (laughs) but uh, it presents a volatile sort of like future in this space because as we've, it's been around for long enough, we know that it's just like, think about what news is like now. Do you remember when news used to be a thing that you watched or read? You remember mm-hmm. when it, like, and it wasn't just like, I turned my head and there's like, it's blasting at my eyeballs. Like, it's not something that just happens all the time because I, I was always, always around when cable news was around. I'm not that old, but my parents weren't that political. They're conservative, but like, I I grew up around mostly like local news every once in a while NBC Nightly or something like that. Every once in a while Fox, they're like that. But like the, even those networks, they were like they had like at night they had just like infomercials and stuff. But like this then mm-hmm. the then the way that we communicate with each other through, you know, the progression of technology and how humans who make that technology are in sort of and in, it's inextricably it's bound to what it means to be a person. How all of a sudden now, like, what news means is different now. For me, news is Twitter, kind of, but also mm. it's not. It's kind of, it's this collection of, like, mailing lists, sub stacks, Twitter. It's this weird, like, assemblage of stuff to where, like, yeah, human culture and language, we have difficulty conceptualizing ideas like that when they're so when they we have like 800 bazillion different other ideas attached to them as well so we're just like bah, like like we have to just we have to encapsulate these in like yeah. ways that we can understand but what that ends up doing is like reaffirming what it's encapsulating by just simplifying everything and making everything seem like this neat everything becomes apple you know like very mm-hmm. very neat clean user-friendly it's just capitalism makes people do weird shit makes us all do weird shit and the longer that it's around is the the weirder shit that we're gonna do and i'm 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 a i'm i'm a well uh, it would be lovely if capitalism crumbled but i'm a the way out is through guy which some people say is accelerationism but that's a way loaded term but i like it's it's this understanding that the way that Marx conceptual at least in my take it's it's an understanding of the way that Marx conceptualized how economies grow, change over time. These are the eventual constitutive material conditions for moving out of capitalism. If you want to take a very sort of like straightforward take on that, it's the it's 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 the material conditions that lead to the new economic program, to Lenin's new economic program, uh as a trans transition toward as, as this sort of like very scientific transitional you know, phasal understanding of the functions of capitalism. So to that point though, the problem with it, the scary thing about that, that's scary to me. I find it very, I find it interesting enough. And like, I think shit's so fucked up. Like, you know, like, like we're, it's the, the, the unknown it's at the, very, it's, it's better than in the sense of Ballard. It's better than like the nothing that we've had. It's, yeah. it's pres- the word is, I would use is precipitous. It's very it's high risk high reward sort of situation but what makes me nervous about it is that the changes happen so fast the reach of enemies is so vast and that like if I'm gonna be on triage team for the next 50 years before I die and then maybe shit starts moving after that, that's fine. the planet may boil but you know we'll figure that out. I don't have any power there so you know in the meantime, it's a, it's a bit it's a big growth in, in the, the, I'll, I'll end on this. This is it's, there's a lot of growth that happens when recognizing how small we are, and in how quickly things change around us before we even notice it, and how that seems to be a function of the type of world that we live in. And I mean, there's uh, it's it's empowering to figure out a way to live despite those anxieties because those are true anxieties the way that i see it so they exist for a reason and uh i think a path to a, a liberatory politic is through these ideas and ourselves as well yeah. i guess it's probably what i'm trying to say i don't know i think I it never makes know. perfect sense
0: <laughs> i think it makes <laughs> sense I, I i do perfectly get what you mean <laughs> I, and yeah, I, I think the point on that, like, that boredom, that grayness, to give a back reference of what we've done, be- of what I've done before, we did an episode on The Color of Space by Lovecraft, and yeah. that sort of infectious, dull grayness of, like, just nothingness and just blah, yes. uh, as, like, you know, infiltrating capitalism is m- much more interesting way of reading that. And it's also my... I will never, or rarely, pass an opportunity to do this. Fuck dystopias. Seriously. Just fuck them. Fuck them. I've fucking had it with them. Because they, what they do, 90% of the time, both fuck Orwell, Orwell did that, fuck Huxley, Huxley did that, and fuck Bradbury, Bradbury did that too. Although Bradbury had some... Bradbury had some more interesting things. If still, fuck
1: him. I'd say he's the. I'd say he's the. I'd say he's the best on that list. Especially. I can agree <laughs> on that. Uh, okay, nice, uh, nice. Funny
0: thing, I, 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 like, I, I had this fleeting thought that, like, you know, I, I probably shouldn't say this about all three of them. Turns out, I did on the first episode of the show. So you know, I, <laughs> Dude, you got
1: it out of the way. So it's I, 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 I did, and, and
0: like, I've I'm, I've been going full circle ever since. But the whole thing is that it's just like, yeah, no, that's it. It's like, yeah, it's a, it's, not a, it's not a prediction. It's reading the time and it, it works as prediction because of the consequences and whatnot. But, you know, like, it feeds into capitalist realism. It feeds into this idea that, like, you know, it's all there is. It's just this continuity, either in this grayness or some worse form of it. And what I say to that is, fuck you. <laughs> because, like... Yes, some dystopias can explore a liberatory potential. Yes. There are few and far between, and the way they do this is difficult and elaborate. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give an example because it's far enough in the past, and eventually, considering what I've been doing lately, I will write a paper on this or a book. Someday. Like, no one di- did it yet, so I'll fucking do it. There are two different trilogies. They're fairly recent. There's the Red Rising one, which is Sci-fi. Quite fun. I did enjoy the There are more books than the original trilogy. Yeah. But they, in large sense, dystopia. Sort of revolution. Revolution from above. Uh, oh, which yeah. is interesting. And the, I won't spoil the resolution now because I do think they're a good story. But I don't like that resolution in the third book. Uh, mm-hmm. There are issues with that. And the mm-hmm. other one, which is the Mistborn trilogy. The original. The first one by... Yeah. Sanderson, which is very good and has a sort of revolution from below, and the whole thing happens in the first book. Although the other two are interesting continuations, I will write a paper on the comparison between those two, on how do they portray it. revolution. Do it. I want to. I will someday. Someday I'll do it. <laughs> but it's they at the very least the the whole point is not an exploration of that dystopia, but of constant breaking point of that so it doesn't feel as a full dystopic novel of exploring like how these dynamics inside of them work it's not yeah. i came up with this now but i think it's fitting in the whole team theme it's not masturbatory misery
1: yeah or masturbatory Fall out. desolation fallout yeah this that like a very uh voyeuristic yeah sort of like take on the genre absolutely totally 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 agree
0: i would i would even like put like uh post-apocalyptic narratives in a whole other thing because they play out in in weirder ways or at least in particular yeah. forms but i like that's why it, it was such an eye-opener for me to read ursula Le Guin's dispossessed because like you know you can write a, a utopia or an ambiguous utopia still write it in a way that's I don't, I don't know, human with issues, but still have it a more interesting sense than in this.
1: Uh, Kim Stanley Robinson's one? Yeah, thank you. Yes, Kim. Yeah. 20, 2112? I think so. Yeah, it, it is It is the Kim Stanley Robinson novel. I'm running, I'm running on fumes. Uh, it, that is like, yeah, like, utopian theory is not about, like, creating, like, <laughs> that 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 scene from the simpsons uh that became a meme where their their attorney is imagining homer is imagining a world without i can't remember i can't remember who it is exactly but it's just a bunch of people like skipping around in a circle because yeah. <laughs> the, the, theories theories of utopia within them contain you know an understanding of human problems and uh, i think jameson is an interesting encapsulation of that yeah but in terms of presenting like if it's post apocalypticism like the the like the valuable critique of a work like that exists in the in some kind of an imagination within these universes and like that like a good utopia like no one like no one's reading a book where everyone's like fine mm-hmm. so like that that like very childish like simplistic sorry that's probably too harsh that very simplistic view of like utopian theory is just you know just like no like like do the reading. And then read the critiques of that, like, like, read Jameson, and then read Jody Dean's critique of Jameson, and then read Jameson's response. Like, this is a conversation that's being had and needs to continue to be had, because imagination there's the reason why a bunch of us talk about it all the time, because it's a big fucking problem. Yes. Is, the solutions to incredible, like, systemic problems are not even, like close to what a lot of people are proposing we need to overhaul so much and so that's where i landed on that point whatever i was trying to make
0: <laughs> no but, but yeah exactly it's like and welcome to my research i mean that's not i don't say that that obviously uh, but that's kind of the whole point It's like right. you know uh this potential of hope and imagination is pretty fucking important and i get very pissed off when um, dystopias are highly marketed, dystopias are winning literary contests that I didn't win. <laughs>
1: um, yes, that's a personal beef, but still uh, a systemic one. No, it's a it's a political conflict within literature, and that's fine. Political conflicts yeah. are good.
0: And like that's like, that's the thing. Like, and that's why I'm delving into utopian theory and literary utopias, like especially after the sixties. Because, you know, they're doing something different, uh, or at least notably and openly, and uh, you know, that that can be useful. That can be Absolutely. useful to you know, at the very least, carry on day by day and thinking like what we're trying to get to and not just like, avo- not avoiding by negative, not just avoiding the dystopia or avoiding getting there. Because um, if you look or imagine hard enough, you, you'll also land in our current reality, which is Fairly dystopic, dystopic, I think, uh, or I'm fairly sure.
1: What Frank's telling everyone is that you you need to read Hegel, because yes. <laughs> that's very that's very Hegelian, and I too can be very Hegelian. So yeah, body to the negativity, give body to the critique with your work, critique. Don't let people get away with shit. Just enjoy things? No, I'm sorry, uh, no, thank you, no. Let people. No. Let no, we're, enjoy we're very no. much he- critique no, heavy, you.
0: ruthless cri- criticism of all
1: that exists. Yeah, that's you know, people like. First of all, I like if you like culture that I think is shitty. Like, I don't, th- I legit, I like a lot of legitimately shitty culture. I think no lesser lesser of you, but either like, you know, either it's worth defending or I do, it's. This is a podcast, <laughs> but people couldn't see my very dramatic head tilt. Yes, uh, I could you know, there. <laughs> 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 no but yeah really like just like like there's a way to do criticism that's like in, in a way to produce work that's that's not just meaningful there's a way to produce meaningful things and culture outside of all of that i think that's actually really good i'm not i'm not like a i'm not like a jamesonian purist for example i don't think mm-hmm. I, I i think there's a way to, to sort of like critique the all-encompassing like political discourse but at the same time i think i think a constituted like large consuming political discourse at the very least provable fully encompassing or not necessitates some kind of a response because otherwise it's just like i think it's i think jameson is right it's it, if we could agree that jameson is right and it's at least there like we should be extracting this shit and beating it to death with bats <laughs> like this like terrible cult- way to look at culture i don't know yeah
0: no i, th- I think i think we're reaching our, our natural finishing point if only on tiredness and intensity which is pretty much a great ending point i think
1: i mean it's i think it's a testament to our skill because i agree because it's uh it wraps it up nicely and yeah. sort of like in the vision of like and for the record and like this is like this is perfect for it I i, I really appreciate you having me on uh I very much like the show. I have listened to a decent amount uh of it, which I don't think I told you that, but I I've, I've listened to a good amount of left page and uh I uh, I I th- I think in the sort of like sort of like serious as always probably a little t- little mushy sort of like <laughs> political takes I offered at the end of this is like the left page is the result of that coming into cultural spaces and that it's it's a good and necessary program that i encourage people who like me and who maybe are listening to left page for the first time to continue patroning because you know we need we need to talk about culture we need to talk about books we need to talk about sports we need to talk about tv because this is like we don't we don't have a choice. This is how everyone fucking communicates. This is how everyone talks. Like mm-hmm. oh oh the, you can you can cut across that noise when you and do labor organizing, which I also encourage everyone to do. <laughs> but like, you, you want to talk about ideas with people and like use language to like not just convince people who are you know already read to like your ideas, but to help people who are trying to engage with ideas and who maybe don't have access to formal like education get humanities degrees or who, you know, you know, you're like me, buried I have all that but still buried in student loan debt. So the extra help always like helps you get a little bit ahead so you can sort of like hustle when you have to. Like do something like this. Like have people on, make friends, talk about things that you like, be political, encourage others to do the same and join the IWW, and re- read Eugene Debs, and uh, <laughs> play play Night in the Woods, and listen to Coke Bust, probably my, my favorite recent, the past 15, 20 years, hardcore punk band, it's a power violence, kind of like fast, hardcore band from DC, home of my original favorite hardcore band, Minor Threat, I also listen to Minor Threat. And I gotta stop. I don't know. I'm, I'll never stop. <laughs> Excellent <laughs> messages. Excellent messages. Um, just before we wrap, we
0: finish. Uh, where can people find you? The, the, that's the The admin work is important.
1: <laughs> ah, yes. Uh, you can follow me at @laborkyle on just about everything. I I've, I've, nowadays I'm mostly tweeting and producing a, a podcast called All Gamers Are Bastards. Uh, it's a pod on Twitter as well. You can listen to that. I uh but I also I have a series of YouTube essays that are up and for anybody who wants them. I've I've other ones that are very slowly coming together, but you know, I have I have other jobs and things and uh writing to do, so but uh yeah, if you find me on Twitter you'll find links to all the stuff that I've made. Stuff that I've written for other people about culture and video games and that kind of a thing. And then just yeah. Yeah, Agab. Listen, listen to Agab. That's that's where you find me the most now, and it's very, it's a good project. It's a fun project. Love that podcast. Mm. And and like
0: support Kyle if you can. Like Kyle's great and does really work. So you know, go support him too if you can. Definitely, I appreciate definitely it. encourage that. For me, uh, you can find me on uh, on Twitter at Left Page Pod or at Frank Gothic, uh, where I yell a lot, <laughs> mope a lot. <laughs> Rant a lot. I, I intense it's, times. Twitter, it's Twitter. You already
1: know what it is. That's twi- yeah, it's just exactly.
0: <laughs> um, and are also on Patreon at patreon.com dot com forward slash Left Page, where I write monthly essays, and there's still the poetry club thing, which I'm still doing with Bruno, which is interesting and fun. Yeah, it's it's a very thing. There's there's a bit more of me in occasional essays where I write about stuff that either. Wouldn't make an episode or just, I don't know, something else I read during the month that, like, couldn't fit or was too busy with other stuff that I just, instead of doing a whole episode and editing, I just wrote a bit about, wrote a bit about it, uh, which was also fun. It's a bit of an odd taste of my semi-academic writing. I don't call it academic writing because I'm much more lighter and not as concerned about, like, oh, I need to do all the proper citations. It's much, be- it's much
1: better. Life. It's much better than academic.
0: A hundred percent. But yeah, like, just check us out if you can. If you can, that's totally fine. Just listening and being here means, it really does mean the world to me. That, like, I, I'm not sure if I've said this before. The left page is kind of the main project that's been working out for me so far the past couple of years. So, and just in listenership, it, it means a lot. So, thank you so, so much. Go check out Cow. go support him if you can, too and yeah you'll you'll see we'll be back soon enough with some more stuff and Kyle will definitely be back on at some point soon like obviously okay. oh, yeah. I, it, it it barely it doesn't need to be said but just just in case there's any sliver of doubt he'll be back
1: oh can't wait
0: so that's it from us for tonight or today whatever thank you so much for listening until the next one everyone
1: podcast We parted. (laughs)
0: Thank <laughs> you.